Awesome. I'm so glad to be here. My name's Bates, and um, I'm married to Jen, and we've got a little boy, Sam, and it's just a joy to serve in this church. We're part of, do some of the leadership stuff here, and it's just such a joy. I'm really excited to declare some of God's word this morning, and it's excited me, so I hope it'll bring some joy and excitement to you as well. Let me pray quickly. Thank you, Father, that you're good and that your word speaks to us, that we don't have to listen to the mere words of men, but we can listen to your words. So God, would this morning, would your word come and just illuminate uh, your truth in our hearts, and would it cause us to respond in a way that you deem uh, appropriate and that is beautiful to you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome, guys. So I just reminded this morning, as we're singing and so on, that um, if you're visiting church and checking it out for the first time, um, it can be a bit weird, Right? So a bunch of people who seem pretty happy come out on a rainy day. Uh, they then all sing really loudly, even if they've got bad voices like me, uh, you know, like a goat kind of voice. Um, and then they like, lift their hands while they're singing. It looks like they're stretching while they're singing, which is also a bit weird. I'm just recounting my first church experience. This is kind of what I experienced. And then they sit down on these uncomfortable chairs, really attentively listening as if something might actually change um, their lives. And there's obviously the occasional tears and lots of laughs that come in in between that. And then they all get up and have this grape juice and this really nice tasting fresh bed, but only a really small little morsel. Um, and then they put their hands on one another's shoulders and mutter some words to one another. And then at the end, they're all happy and have hot drinks and then they go home. And so it can seem a bit weird if you're looking in, you know what I'm saying? And I totally get that. Uh, but I just want to say welcome. If you're in, um, coming here and you're wanting to engage with God, maybe this is a new way for you. You're welcome. You can just sit back and enjoy this morning, and we may seem a bit weird at first, but we're not that weird, I promise. So I just want to welcome you if that is you, and uh, this is a no-pressure space, just enjoy the time and uh, get to know some of these people. Uh, I remember when I had that experience, I was like, whoa, maybe I'll never come back, and I did, and it was glorious. And uh, I'm here today, 14 years later, so God's done amazing things. Um, and also, we are still, uh, believe it or not, in our Ezra and Nehemiah series, <laughs> but we're almost done, as Paula shared last week. This is the third last installment. It might be the second last. I don't know. One of those two. And um, we've been going for quite a, long, quite a while. It's been an awesome journey. If you've missed it, um, all the messages are standalone, but they also do build on one another in some way. So you can catch those on our website or on our podcast channel, and it's been really awesome uh, listening to those in the cars as I drive, I must say, the past few weeks. And Paulo did mention it last week in his sermon as well. For the next two or three weeks, uh, we're not going to necessarily be diving into a specific text or section of the book of Nehemiah, but we're going to kind of address sort of sweeping themes that we see within the book. So I'm going to do that this morning for us. And the title of my message this morning is City Within a City. City Within a City. Your dev, those slides are legit, bro. Well done. That is so cool. City within a city. And so I remember some years back, uh, Jen and I were super privileged to visit uh, the great city of New York. Uh, and I remember when we, we went there, it was kind of a little bit overwhelming. I was quite overwhelmed by kind of the scale and the hyperactivity in that city. I don't know if any of you guys have been there, but it's just pumping all day, every night, all the time. And there's just tons of skyscrapers uh, collected on this tiny little island. Then there's this huge, beautiful green area in the middle, which they call Central Park, which is just lovely. And then there's one street where all these world-famous productions are happening called Broadway on one street um, in that place. And there's this financial hub at the bottom, and, and the most, this, one of the most infamous terrorist attacks happened there, Twin Towers, just on the other side. There's so much happening in that city. There's people from all around the world at all times of the day and night walking along the street. It's incredible. I spoke to one of the residents there once, and they said, there's never not a tourist that you'll walk past 
on the street. I remember Jen and I, for novelty factor, we went to Times Square and we went to the H&M on the corner there at 3 a.m. And the shop was still packed with people doing their shopping at 3 a.m. I was like, this is ridiculous. Um, anyway, that's New York. And my abiding memory is that this is a pretty significant city. Like, stuff is happening here. Uh, it's, it's pretty prominent. And it is worldwide, a global and a significant city. And so I wanted to ask you guys the question this morning, have you ever been to a city like that or experienced a city like that that seems unique and significant? Maybe it's in South Africa, maybe globally. And what was it that stood out for you in that city? And there are a bunch of them worldwide that are significant cities. I'd even ask the question, what would you say is the most significant city in the world at this moment? Beijing, maybe, London, Singapore, Hong Kong, I don't know, what, why, and why? And so the reason I'm talking about cities this morning is because we're obviously going to be talking about a prominent city by the name of Jerusalem. By the name of Jerusalem. And so if we can grab that picture quickly. So that's a modern day version of Jerusalem with the Dome of the Rock in the middle there the big Muslim temple thing, built on top of the historic temple. And so I want to make a case this morning to say that I would say probably world history-wise, and perhaps even with current day affairs, Jerusalem's probably one of the most significant cities, if not the most, in the world. And it's kind of in the middle of the east, in this like kind of dryish place. It seems pretty arbitrarily positioned, but yet it is so significant. And it's been significant for, for, uh, for centuries. And so here are a few reasons. I'm going to look at the historic ones, not the modern-day ones, why Jerusalem is so significant. First one is the, it's the root of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, the three most or significant or major monotheistic religions in the world. Another reason is the throne of God on earth. It was the throne of God on earth. It was the home of the temple where sin was atoned for and God was worshipped. Much of Jesus' earthly ministry happened in and around Jerusalem. He wept over the city, just like Nehemiah did, which we'll see in a moment. After his resurrection, he walked back into the city. He said to his disciples after his resurrection uh, that they should go to Jerusalem and wait there for the promised Holy Spirit to come and fill them. The church, the largest and longest standing institution in the world, started in Jerusalem, in this one single city in the Middle East. It's so important that it's mentioned nearly 1,000 times in Scripture. And so when something is mentioned that many times in the Bible, it's a pretty significant theme. We need to pay attention to it. And so why are we looking at Jerusalem this morning in our Ezra and Nehemiah series? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. Um, And the reason you asked, or the reason we're looking at it, is because all of the narrative that we've been looking at within Ezra and Nehemiah, the history of the Israelites, in these two books, is basically focused around this city, Jerusalem. If you think of it, in the beginning in Ezra, um, Zerubbabel comes back, he bleeds back the first wave of exiles, and they uh, rebuild the altar and the temple in Jerusalem. And then Ezra himself comes back, and he kind of reestablishes the spiritual life there and community in Jerusalem. And then we get to Nehemiah, and Nehemiah comes back, and he brings back a whole lot of exiles, and they rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem. And so it's a pretty central in the narrative of God's people, and there's very good reason for that. Let me convince you a little bit further through the eyes of Nehemiah that we've been looking at for the past few weeks. Nehemiah 1. 
Nehemiah is heartbroken over the state of the city, and so he prays and he fasts for it. Nehemiah 2, he then makes a special, potentially life-threatening decision and plan to return to the city and rebuild it. Nehemiah 3, he sets to work on this huge project, even by modern-day scales, of rebuilding these walls with a bunch of unqualified people. Nehemiah 4 and 6, he withstands relentless and nasty opposition to the building project to continue building on this site. Nehemiah 5, he cares for the poor and the marginalized in the city. Nehemiah 6 and 7, he completes the building project in record time, just 52 days. Nehemiah 11, he then repopulates the city. And Nehemiah 12, he dedicates the city to the Lord and sings over it. And we've spoken about a bunch of those events throughout the past few weeks. This is a significant city, not just in our day, not just in history, but within Israel and Nehemiah, within the story of the Israelites in that period of time, about 2,500 years ago. And so we might ask the question, they put in all this effort, and Israel and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel, they went back and they, they worked and they faced opposition, but what all for? Why did they do it? What was the point? Surely they could have just kind of moved a few kilometers down the road and built another city, right? Wouldn't be opposition there. People wouldn't worry so much about them. Why? What was the point of it all? And so there must be something that Nehemiah knew about this city. And there was. It's revealed in his prayer to God in Nehemiah verses one, uh, chapter 1, verse 8 to 9. It's on the screen there, and I'm going to read it. This is just a small section of the prayer, but he says this. Remember the instruction you gave to your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then, I, then even if you are exiled people at the farthest horizon, which they were in Persia and all over, I will gather them from there back to Jerusalem. And I will bring them, and listen up here, to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. And so there it is. That's why this city is so significant. God chose for this to be a dwelling and a place for his name to dwell. Throughout the Bible, the city of Jerusalem, also sometimes referred to uh, as Zion, is a prototypical city, supposed to belong to God and to be a light to the nation, supposed to shine forth as a holy city, as an example to all the cities around it and to all the cities around the world. And so that's it. That's why they loved it so much. That's why the Israelites loved the city so much. That's why they still love it so much. Why they wanted to come back to it. Why they wanted to rebuild it. Why they persevered in spite of terrible opposition. Go and read Nehemiah and you'll see the kinds of stuff guys did. It was not nice. And they continued to build it. It was their city. It was a place where God dwelt with his people. And where his name went out to the nations. And so Jerusalem, the city of God's people, and the place where he dwells, was to be a light to the nations. So that all would see and believe and come and worship the one true Father. And so that's why Jerusalem is so significant. That's why it is so significant. Even today and throughout history, it's a significant city. And so this week I was speaking to um, some of my boys in my small group at um, Corley Academy. It's a high school uh, just down the road that we work with. Uh, and this one thing came up for me, and it just so encouraged me that I wanted to share it with you guys this morning. And it links in uh, with this theme of the cities and Jerusalem. It's, it's this fact. If you're a Christ follower in the room this morning, you belong to a faith that is not just kind of 
uh, in the spiritual realm, but it's very much geographic and historical. You belong to a faith that is geographic and historical. And if you're looking into the faith this morning, if you're here kind of checking out the claims of Christ, I hope this helps you and convinces you along on your journey. But the Christian faith is geographic and historical. It's not just kind of pie in the sky when you die kind of stuff. It's not a kind of make-believe faith that you just suck from your thumb, you know, or some kind of uh, mystical quasi-reality thing that we kind of made up as we went along, you know. It's a geographic, historical faith. It's based in time and events and history. It's not just removed from reality. Nehemiah was an actual man like us. When we read the Bible, we're not talking about people making up stories. These are narratives of historical events. He was a man like us. He lived in a place like us. You can jump in a plane, fly a few hours north, jump in a car, and go and visit Jerusalem today. You saw the picture there earlier. It's not some city in the sky. It's an actual place where Nehemiah lived, where he built actual walls made of brick and mortar, whatever they used to build them. He lived about 2,500 years ago. This was an actual man. The same with Jesus. He was an actual man who lived in and around the area of Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago, who walked, who did verifiable miracles in the presence of many people who died and rose again with verifiable evidence that is almost undeniable. Even in the scholarly realm, people know and they declare that Jesus did rise from the dead. They cannot refute that. This is a faith that is based on events in time in space. It is incredible and it's encouraging. If you're a Christ follower this morning, your faith is robust. It is robust. It is not something that can easily be refuted. It stood for so, so long. The church is the biggest institution in the world and has probably faced the most persecution out of any institution in the world. There's good reason for that. It's geographic and historical. It's based in time and space. And so we follow a Christ, if you're a Christ follower here this morning, not just of faith, but we follow a Christ of history. That's who we follow. And it's encouraging, and I hope that's encouraging to you here this morning, if you're a Christ follower. And so what we're going to do this morning is we are going to um, have a look at a sermon that Jesus did preach while he was here on earth, about 160 k's north of Jerusalem on the banks uh, near the, Ga- the Sea of Galilee, he gave a sermon, one of his most powerful he ever gave. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're going to have a look. He sat down on a hillside, and he spoke to a bunch of people, a uh, group of people who were around him. A lot of them were his disciples. And uh, that's what we're going to have a look at this morning. We're going to, right at the start of that sermon, he gives a little excerpt, and we're going to have a look at that this morning. It's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 5, if we can get that, verses 14 to 16. It's a short little section, but it's powerful. And this is what I want to drive home this morning. We're a city within a city. Let's read, let's read it. I'll, I'll read it for us. It goes like this. You are the light of Christ to the world. A town or a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light, the light of Christ in you, shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so here Jesus is speaking to individuals, but he's also speaking to the church, the gathered believers. So this is a word to you if you're a Christ follower here this morning. And so he says you are light to the world. What does the light do? 
It brings direction. It casts out light. It gives us a way that we can go forward. It's attractive. If you think of all the moths and stuff that fly to the light. When we see light in the darkness, we want to go because then we know where to go. We want to go towards it. And a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Why? Because it's on a hill. It cannot be hidden. No matter what it tries, however it tries to veil itself, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Can we get that image quickly? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. I just found that such a potent image as I was preparing this week. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, no matter how hard it tries. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. In those ancient times, the lamp he was talking about was an oil lamp. On the one side of the oil lamp, you put in the oil. On the other side, there was a little wick that stood out, and you lit it. And it wasn't a bright light. That's why they put it up on a stand, usually in one-bedroom homes. That's what they lived in in those Palestinian times. And so when he says you don't put a light under a bowl, what he's saying is if you put a bowl over that light, it dies because it has no more oxygen. It's not just that there's no more light. That light actually dies. And so what he's saying is the light is put on a stand with no bowl over it because then it's alive and it gives light to everyone in the room. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so what's he saying? Jesus is saying, you, church, have me in you. Shine brightly. Follow me. Obey me. Listen to me. Do what I call you to do. That's what he's saying. I am in you. Don't shy away. Don't keep it to yourself. Don't hide away. Live for me so that others, so that others may see how you live and want what you have and come and glorify me and come and glorify the Father. Not glorify you, come and glorify me. That's what Jesus is saying here. And so one hope, this is what I want us to take from this morning. Like a lit up city on a hill, it's up there, like a lit up city on a hill, we should be attractively different. As the church, like a lit up city on a hill, we should be attractively different, visible, attractive, not hidden away. And so the church is likened to many things in the Bible. There's a body, likened to a body with many parts functioning together, with Christ as the head. It's likened to a building, with many stones, which we are built on one another, with Christ as our cornerstone. It's likened to an army with lots of us fighting together, with Christ as our chief commander. Likened to a family where we're all members and God is our Father. But this morning, Jesus chooses to liken the church to a city. And so why does he use that word picture? We're going to look at that this morning. And here are a few uh, reasons that come to mind, four of them to be exact. And uh, I want to run us through them quickly. Firstly, cities are about identity. Cities are about identity. And so I think of all the brothers and sisters from Harare here in our midst who've come together in this one place. Because cities are about identity. They come from a place that they can identify with. So when they come together, there's a sense of identity and togetherness that they get. And so cities are about identity. It's where we're from. It's where we live. In ancient times, the city walls didn't just keep people in, but they set boundaries and identity. It's who we are. This is our place where we live. And so in the church, we find Christ and his church to be our core source of sense and sense of identity. Cities are about protection. And so within community, there's not just identity, there's protection. And so a city might be about physical protection, whereas within the church we, we do that a bit, but we're more around spiritual and relational protection. We want to 
protect and guard and look after one another. As followers of Jesus, we're called to hold one another to account, to share our burdens and protect each other. As the leaders of a church, we're called to protect the church doctrinally and to keep it safe from any false teachings. And then cities are about community. The church is called to be a community of relationships akin to a body. Listen to this, guys. In our culture, relationships and community is something everyone desires and very few people find. I want to say that again. In our culture, relationships and community are what everyone desires, but very few people find. And so that's what we ought to be as the church, a community of relationships where people can come and find genuine community. The church is to be a city that shows the culture how we do this. We should be a model of what community looks like, why we crave it, how it plays out in life. And ultimately, this should attract people to us. should attract people to us because they see what they so desire in us. And so when Paula, sitting in front here, invites me to go play some golf with a few other guys, we're building community. We're not just hitting a white ball around the course. We're connecting with one another. I know not all of you believe me, but this is actually what happens. <laughs> we're connecting with one another. We're intentionally inviting other people in with us so we can connect with them, so we can build community and friendship that's tight, not just in this space, but outside of this space. When Tomo invites me to his bride, even though I was probably 10 years older, except than his parents and everyone else there, it's to build community, to connect with students, to connect across ages. And it was awesome. When Johannes and Ali invite you to a briar, they are so good at this. I want to commend you guys. Just connecting people to one another. Think of the connect lunches. They are just beautiful space for community to happen. And then finally, cities are about purpose. The funny thing for me is whenever I drive into a town, especially as we drive up to Zim on our mission trip, we drive through these small little dorpies. I'm like, why is this place here? It's like, what is there here? Why would someone have established a town, you know? But every town, whether it still exists for that reason or not, was, was, was started for a good reason and a good purpose. There's reason. Maybe it was family or land or religious reasons, whatever it was, or mining or whatever it is. And the city of One Hope was founded. This church was founded for a good reason. It stands. We're founded to know God and to make Him known. This is why One Hope exists. It's our heartbeat and our purpose. And everything about us drives from this point. And so these are the benefits and the characteristics of a city and of the church. We're about identity, protection, community, and purpose. And so when Jesus says that we as the church are a light of Christ to the world and we are a city on a hill, what he's saying to us is that we need to display these characteristics. We need to shine these things out so that when others see, they're like, wow, and they want to come. They want to come and worship the Father of heavenly lights. They want to come to him because it's attractive and it's beautiful. Not perfect, but it's attractive and it's beautiful because we don't always get it right, right? <laughs> we stumble and fall all the time. And so God's calling us to be a city within a city. Let me have a quick drink here. Sorry, I'm a little bit sick, so my throat's a bit dry. And so when I think about those who have got bored with Christianity or have kind of fallen off the bus or not so interested anymore or backslidden or whatever you want to call it, my bet is that it's one of these things that are one of the core reasons why that happened. 
And so my bet is that if that is you, maybe you haven't found identity in Christ or in his people. Maybe you feel vulnerable and afraid. Unprotected because you haven't surrounded yourself with Christ followers. Maybe you feel disconnected. Like you're not part of this thing. Like you're not in community. Because you haven't come and, and become one of us. Or maybe you've just felt like, what's it even all for? Just felt disillusioned. Like what's the purpose? We haven't seen that it's about us pursuing God's purposes together. And so if that is you, I want to urge you. In fact, I want to plead with you this morning. Come back. Come back. And I want to just commend you for coming out this morning, if that is you, and just checking out and giving church another chance. I want to, I want to say to you, come back. I know we're broken. and We make mistakes and we mess up. But the church is God's idea. It's not ours. He's chosen to presence himself here. He's chosen to dwell with us. He's chosen to love us. He's chosen to give us purpose and direction and life and joy. And so we get it wrong, but we have God with us, amongst us. He gives us identity, purpose, protection. Come back. I want to urge you, come back. This is God's church. And so Matthew 5 14 to 16. I want to read it for us again. You are a light of Christ to the world. A city or a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Like a lit up city on a hill, we should be attractively different. And so the book of Nehemiah, it's this, it's this great leadership initiative um, led by Nehemiah to restore the city of Jerusalem, right? And the mission of Nehemiah in Jerusalem to restore that city is a great lesson to us as one hope. Like Nehemiah, that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to build our church as a countercultural city within a city. We want to be a countercultural city within the city of Stellenbosch. That's what we want to do, guys. That's what we're trying to build here. Just like Nehemiah, just a ragtag bunch of us, you know, unqualified, yet God would choose us to build his city within the city. And so Stellenbosch, by our estimates, has about 10% of the people, population, meaningfully involved within church community. Around about 10%, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less, but somewhere there. And so this town is desperately in need of churches who are going to be a city on a hill, a bright light, a countercultural city within a city to which people can be drawn and come and find Christ and follow him and live that out. And all for the purpose that they may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. They may see our good deeds and glorify our Father in heaven. Not so that we may get the glory, but so that he may get the glory. Can you bring that image up again for me, please, Callum? And so we're like, we're like a lit-up city on a hill. We're called to be attractively different. And so while the Bible starts in a garden, the beginning, Garden of Eden, it ends in a city. Jesus is coming back in the future, and he's coming back to Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. That's where he's coming back to, guys. One day Jesus will return to Jerusalem. At that time, he is going to establish 
the new Jerusalem. And that city will be unlike the former. It won't have a temple because Jesus fulfills that function. Today we gather not in Jerusalem, but we gather in Jesus by his Holy Spirit to worship him, to adore God, and to follow him. In Jesus, we have the fulfillment of the intent of Jerusalem. He's the name of God. He's the word of God. He's the atonement for sin. He's the place where we worship. He's the king of kings. He's the temple of God. That is our Jesus. And we gather as the church to be a city within our city, living countercultural kingdom lives of worship and inviting others to join us in Jesus. And so Jesus calls us to be a city within the city of Stellenbosch, to serve it, to love it, to know it, to do life within it. We're not called to separate ourselves from the city. We need to be in our city, part of our city. We need to have influence in our city. And this doesn't mean we become like our city, but rather that they desire to become like us and to join us. Because we as the church are called to be a city, we need to have structure we need to have boundaries. We need to have direction. We need, we need to be visible, not hidden. The city of Stellenbosch should know when one of exists. If we close down, guys, is anyone going to know? Is it going to bother anyone? Is it going to affect our city? That question should bother us because it should. It should. One hope should be visible in this town and known in this town, not for our glory, for his glory. As a city, one hope should be visible and attractive, light in the darkness. We should show our city what it is to work, to do work well, to do marriages well, to do family well, to do hobbies well, to do rest well, to do conflict and dating and education, all these things well. We need to take these issues and say, how does the gospel transform this thing? And then take the answers to our city. And when we do that right, I'm telling you it's attractive. Because we're not forcing stuff on people. We, it lines up with how people were made. They're like, ah, oh, that's right. That's the way these things should be done. And so we live our lives as followers of Jesus in front of our city. Guys, if church is only done once a week when we sit here and it's comfortable and it's warm because of these wonderful heaters and we sing some really good songs with guys who know how to play music well, grateful for them, and we listen to a talk and then we just have some coffee and go home, we really are wasting our time, guys. We really are. God has called each one of us to be daily, weekly, living for him wherever he has put us. To be lights on the hill wherever he has put us. In our workplace, in our schools, in our varsities, everywhere he has put us. At home, wherever you are, he's called you to be a light for him. To be visible and attractive for him day by day. It's not a mistake that you are placed in this town at this time. He's called you to be a missionary in this town. And so guys, how do we do this? How do we do this? How do we do this as the church? How do we practically do it? One hope, and I know that so many of you sitting in the room are doing this already. You are being a light in the places where God has put you. You are shining for Christ, even in really hard circumstances. But how do we start? Here we go. Here's a first step that we can all take, and I want you guys to write this down. So if you haven't got a pen out or something or a phone, if you can take that out for a moment, I want you to write these two things down. This is what we're going to do this week as one hope. How are we going to be a light in our space and in our town? City on a hill. Okay, I want you to pick one domain of life. Okay? So either homework or play. 
Pick one of those. You can maybe write these all down, homework or play. And then pick one of them. And then within one of those domains, just this week, I want you to ask God to help you to do one of these three things. You can also pop those up. Either to help you change a wrong behavior or to help you change a bad attitude or to help you reach out to a person. So within one of those domains on the left, homework or play, I want you to ask God to help you change a wrong behavior, change an attitude or reach out to a person. And so why am I making this so specific? Why am I calling you to this response? Because that's what God's called us to do as a light in our city, to practically, actually live for him in these kind of ways and ask him to help us live in a way that is a light and a city on a hill. This is how we live out practical Christianity and it brings worship to our Father. And what it does is it becomes attractive and it's different because it's in obedience to God and not into the ways of the world. And other people come in because they want to worship our God. And so just a moment, maybe you don't have to do it right now, but just pick one of those domains and one of those outworkings. And at the end of this meeting, I'd love you to share that with somebody and then ask them to ask you next week, how did it go? Ask them to ask you next week, how did it go? Next week, Sunday. Okay, awesome. So like a light in the dark, we should be attractively different. And when I think of people in our church, I'm almost done, guys, living this out, I think of a few examples, and this really inspires me. And that's why I say I know a whole lot of us are living like this already, but all the more, can we not? All the more in Christ. And so I think of the Zim mission team. I think of Ollie and Tom, Phil, Robs, Megs, Prisca, and Claire, all shining so brightly in that space in Zim, taking the word of God, stepping out of their comfort zone and going to a foreign country to go and share Jesus and be a bright, shining light in that place. I think of the Serve Clutusville team. Helen, Grace, Robs, Hannah, Caitlin, Liz, all serving these challenging children during their holiday time in Clutersville. Loving them, serving them, caring for them, having a ball of a time with these 60 children and just giving up a week of their lives to invest in what is a really broken and marginalized community. Shining the light of Jesus, being a light on a hill in that place. I think of your Han and Sine um, and Nats and Ryan running the Alpha Marriage Course because we want to equip our married people to be a light in that space, to have happy, healthy marriages that people want to emulate and that are beautiful and attractive to our city. I think of Sears organizing the Love, Sex, and Dating evening series that's, that's kicking off this evening. We want to be people who do dating well. Guys, the world does not do this well. It just, it's just a trail of destruction in the world around us when it comes to the dating world. We want to do it well. We want to equip our people to know how to wisely follow and pursue God in these areas and how to date well and how to set themselves up for success later on in life in marriage. And so we're doing that. And I, I think of that just how each of us as we follow God in that way are shining brightly as a light, a countercultural city within a city. I think of Rinyaka, Johan and Marli, who are bringing together a bunch of people in our town and space to develop our community, our spaces, bringing together a bunch of voices and heads and hearts to bring change to lives in our city on a really practical level. I think of the Red Frogs, Jono and Mark and the whole crew that join those guys as they go out, being a real bright light in a dark parting environment week in and week out on this campus and beyond. Just shining for Jesus, showing what it is to not go out and just be so self-absorbed and get smashed, but to go out and actually serve others. And that's the purpose why you would go out. So these guys are bringing a bright light in a dark place, a city on a hill.
And there are many, many others, so many others. These are just some recent examples that come to mind, but there are so many others of us here in the room who are shining for Jesus brightly, being a city on a hill, being attractively different in the place where God's placed you. And so guys, that's what it is to be a city within a city. That's what it is to shine for Jesus and not be hidden. A church that shines brightly for him and doesn't shy away. A church that sees many coming to love and serve Jesus. A group of people that when others look at us, they want to come and be part of us and glorify our Father in heaven. And so can I ask us all to stand this morning together? I want you all to close your eyes this morning for a moment, and there's a reason why you're going to do that. As your eyes are closed, it'll obviously be dark. (laughs) And in your mind's eye, I want you to picture that picture that went up so often this morning of the city on the hill, the bright city shining on the hill. And in response this morning, I want to give an opportunity to two groups of people to respond to what's been said this morning. As your eyes are closed and as you're imagining that city on the hill, if you're standing there and you're thinking, I want to be part of that city. I want to be part of God's people where he dwells. I want to be part of the church, the city on the hill. I want to tell you this morning how you can become part of that city. If you're not yet a Christ follower this morning, if you're looking in, I want to tell you how you can become part of the city called the church. You can become one of his kids. I want to start by saying it's not about being a nice person or behaving better or getting your life in order. It's not about being the right person. It's about coming to the right person and his name is Jesus. And he's made it possible for you to be part of God's people. 2,000 years ago, this is a historical happening. He lived a perfect life, Jesus, here on earth, in and around Jerusalem. He was murdered by the Romans on a cross. Three days later, he rose back to life to conquer sin and death. And then 40 days later, he ascended into heaven where he sits right now at the hand of the Father. And in doing that, it's really an incredible thing. In doing that, he opened the way for all who will come to be made right with God and to enter into personal relationship with him. He opened the way. He made it available to all to be God's children, to be part of the city on the hill, the church. And so I want to say to you, if you're looking in, the way to God is open for you this morning. It's available to you. If you want to enter into a right relationship with God this morning for the first time, or if you've backslidden and you want to come back to him, I want to make an opportunity for you to do that right now. Right now, I'm going to give you a moment. If that is you and you want to come to God right now, I want you to pop up your hand right where you are and we want to pray with you. If there is anybody like that in the room, would you just stick your hand up right now and we want to pray with you.
then what I want to do is I want to invite you, if you are a Christ follower this morning, I want to invite you to come and grab a small piece of bread and a glass of grape juice and to take it back to your seats. And just before you come, what I'm going to ask you to do is just to get into small groups with that bread and with that juice. And then we're going to pray together. So go and grab it, bread and the juice, and get into small groups, three or four. And then we're going to pray together while the band sings a song for us. Okay, go first, guys.